And so well, I already gave this, uh, this analogy a little earlier, so I'll read these verses. Uh, and as we are, remember that this account of Caleb and Joshua and the 12 spies uh, spying out the, uh, the land of Canaan came after the law given in Leviticus, but before the reestablishment of the law given in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is given to the children of this generation uh, that, that uh, the Lord does not allow to enter into his rest in the promised land. And remember, this is about the enjoyment of the covenant, not about eternal salvation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to their sons, of, to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their fathers, tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. And these spies go out into the land. Uh, they spy it out. They see it's good land. Um, they're a little frightened of the men in that land, but they expect that despite they say, yeah, it's great land, 10 of these spies are thinking, well, the response of Israel is obviously going to be, these people are too big for us, too great for us um, to go and conquer. And when they don't, well, they do receive that uh, response at first, but then Caleb quiets people. So we see then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out, so they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and spoke we were in their sight. And so, because of this bad report, these lies that the ten spies brought them, uh, after the covenant had been ratified, they had their national constitution, the Lord had promised that he would bring them into these lands, and ten of these spies were unfaithful. Then the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So remember, God has established Moses as their leader because he is carving out a partial restoration of the kingdom that was lost under Adam. That although Satan remains the ruler of this world, God is working to create a nation of his own through which in the millennial kingdom, he will rule through Jesus Christ. Uh, but at this point, he has created an earthly people whose responsibility is to act not like Adam uh, in, in choosing another's words to put over himself, but in remaining faithful to God's word and stewarding over God's creation the way God has asked him to do so. 
So we see uh, what happens next. And then they, that's Joshua and Caleb, spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. So we see this extreme juxtaposition between Joshua and Caleb, their faithfulness and their trust in God, and the ten spies who are unfaithful and untrusting towards God. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So Joshua and Caleb also do not deny the fact that these are powerful men. Uh, they don't perhaps adhere to the lies that the spies gave about the men, but they recognize that the men are powerful, but the Lord is more powerful. But all the congregations sent to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. So what happens there? Do we continue? Yeah, we do continue to the next. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with a pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. So here, this is important. God says here, I will dispossess them. Well, that goes against everything that has been promised in the Abrahamic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant cannot abrogate the Abrahamic covenant because it deals with the different facet of it. And Moses recognized that. And he says, uh, so, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength, you brought up this people from their midst. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye. You, uh, while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because of the because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now we could say the same thing. Uh, if we decide that God has casted off the nation of Israel, we must admit that God failed in this nation and God did not fail with the nation of Israel. So success has not yet been seen. The nation of Israel is promised national inheritances and they must receive them and they must receive them on this earth in order for God to be faithful and uh, victorious in this earth. That these words of Moses ought to ring as true for us uh, when we interact with the Old Testament. So Moses continues in his intercession for the people. Uh, and notice how he's focused more on God's glory here than he is on the people of Israel. He recognizes that the people are an unfaithful people. And he recognizes that God in his glory has chosen instead, but his glory is also intimately intermingled with his dealings with Israel. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your loving kindness. 
just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And so the Lord does. He says, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. Now, these 10 times that Israel has tested the Lord, you see those all the way, starting right at the beginning, uh, when they are brought out uh, on the other side of the sea, and immediately they start groaning that the Lord has brought them there to die because there's no water. So the Lord cleanses the water of Meribah. He, uh, he sends water through a rock. Uh, he sends them manna in the mornings because they have said once again, the Lord sent us here to starve us to death. Then they complain that all the Lord has given them is bread. So God sends a, a plague, a quail, so that the quail pull up uh, to an absurd height and start to rot before Israel is even able to eat them. Uh, so we see that Israel continues to test the Lord's patience. And here the Lord enumerates that it was 10 times that they've tested him. And he's set up at this point. He says, basically to his, to his theocratic administrator here, he says, uh, these people are really pushing, pushing it. Uh, and he, he says it in a very extreme way that he would even be considering breaking covenant with Abraham. And now I don't think the Lord was actually considering this, but perhaps testing Moses to see whether Moses would say, yeah, Lord, they are unfaithful. Destroy all of them and start again with me. But Moses is faithful to the Lord's glory, just as the Lord is faithful to his glory, because Moses recognizes that he's from the line of Levi as well, that the Lord would have to cast off his entire promise to Abraham in order to start again with Moses. And that can't happen. But uh, the Lord, though he pardoned Israel as a whole, Israel as a nation, uh, says he does not, to that, says, uh, here, he says, uh, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. So Israel has been pardoned. Uh, the Lord will not cast them off, but he will punish the guilty parties. So here we read. Uh, here. Okay. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I formed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, have not listened to my voice, they shall no, by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. So God has said, those who have been unfaithful these ten times, for them, that's it. Their eternal life isn't in question here again, but their ability to enter into the rest of God on this earth their enjoyment of the promises that God has given them through this covenant are over. God will not let that generation enter into that rest because of their unfaithfulness. But part of Israel is pardoned here. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, 
I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Your children, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. All right. So we saw Moses as the theocratic administrator of Israel, and Moses is one of those who spurned the Lord. He was angry and he threw down the tablets and in his anger he spurned the Lord. Uh, so Moses did not enter into the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb do and Joshua becomes the next theocratic administrator in this line of administrators. We see now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. Oh, this is showing Joshua's faithfulness. Uh, and fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. So this is speaking of the second generation of Israel. He's talking about the calf that Israel made in the wilderness. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves they whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served are beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You'll probably see that in Christian bathrooms. Uh, all right. So who are the theocratic administrators? It starts with Moses. God reestablishes a kingdom on earth, carved out from the midst of Satan's kingdom to be a peculiar people for God's purposes. And it begins with Moses, the son of Levi then goes to Joshua, a son of Ephraim. After Joshua transfers to the line of judges, that didn't go so well. Uh, there are plenty of judges, and they come from just about every tribe. Uh, the people after the judges say, we want king like the kings of the nations around us. And God's purpose has always been to bring a king to put over them, but the king whom he will put over them is the king, the son of David, Jesus Christ. But the people want a king, and uh, they appoint Saul. Saul becomes the people's king. And I can't remember, I think he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't work out well, but the Lord did establish him as the king of Israel. So he will not be the king of God's choosing. God chooses David to succeed Saul rather than Saul's um, Saul's son, Jonathan, and Jonathan, being faithful to the Lord, recognizes that and uh, has no intention of standing in David's way from taking the throne, but David also has no intention of killing or uh, in any way dethroning the king of God, who is Saul. So God lets Saul bring himself to his own end uh, in war and then places David up as the next king. And that's when he gives the covenant to David of an eternal seed. That David is, he is the Lord. David is a man after God's own heart. Uh, God says he will establish David's throne so that through him, the ultimate king of Israel, Jesus Christ, will eventually arise. Uh, but the near fulfillment of that promise comes in Solomon, where the closest uh, Israel has ever come to seeing all of these covenant blessings, though it came only a fraction of the way. Closest it has ever come is under Solomon. Uh, and Solomon's throne 
uh, ended up being divided after his death uh, into Judah and Israel. And thus began the conflict of the kings in Israel, ending in two different diasporas where Israel was taken out of their land because of covenant unfaithfulness. But we do see, finally, uh, that Jesus will be the king over Israel. And ironically, this is recognized by Gentile, not by Jews. So in John 19, we read about Pilate uh, and the inscription that he put on the cross. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but write, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. I love that. He's like, I said what I said. Uh, Pilate recognizes that Jesus is the king of the Jews, and he may have done this uh, inadvertently, but guided through the sovereignty of God to write uh, these words and honestly be apathetic enough to say to the to the uh, the chief priests who really would have been annoying Pilate by this point, I think, uh, basically, I don't care enough to change it. But the inscription written above the cross was essentially uh, the penalty for which they were being put to death. Um, so above the murderer would be written murder, above the liar would be put liar. Um, above Jesus was written the Nazarene of the Jews. That was what he was being put to death for. Now, Deuteronomy 17:15, which we're going to look at next time because that's part of the land covenant, uh, makes it necessary for Israel, dwelling in their land, to establish the king of God's choosing. Here we see rejection of God's chosen king and uh, the the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 uh, comes as the consequences of this rejection but um, it is promised in Matthew 23 39 that Jesus will be placed as the king over a future generation of Israel uh, here we see uh, the line going all the way back to Adam from Jesus. This is the line that Adam is given to us in the book of Luke. The line back to Abraham is given to us in the gospel of Matthew. And that, that doesn't mean that Luke didn't know Jesus went all the way back to Adam. But the purpose they had in writing these books was different. The same information was available to all of them. Uh, but they didn't record everything that happened in the life of Jesus. They had purposes. They were showing who Jesus was, and Matthew's purpose was to show Jesus as king of the Jews, the promised seed of Abraham, uh, whereas uh, Luke's purpose was to show that he is a kinsman redeemer, a man from the line of Adam, from the line of Seth, from the line of Shem. Uh, so it was important for him uh, to write the pre-patriarchal uh, lineage of Jesus Christ as well. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Mark doesn't have a, uh, any tracing of the seed, uh, but that's probably because Mark was a gospel written and designed to be given to the Romans, to whom Jesus Christ's lineage would first of all mean nothing, uh, but also it was written to them to show Jesus Christ the servant leader 
um, and servant has no lineage, uh, but rather uh, serves a man of lineage. So Jesus Christ, we see that although he is God, he serves, uh, he, he, he leads by serving. Uh, and that, that takes on a distinct uh, non-Jewish characteristic. Luke was also given to non-Jews, um, but it does include a genealogy because it had a different purpose, and its different purpose was to show that Jesus was a man, as John was given to show that Jesus is God. Uh, but Jesus' lineage, a divine lineage, uh, was also given in the Gospel of John, relating Jesus Christ not back to Adam, but back to God himself through Adam, uh, so that Jesus was God. Uh, so what was the purpose of the law? Romans 10 uh, tells us very explicitly, brethren, my heart desire, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Speaking of the Jews here, Paul, um, who is a Christian, but also a Jew, says he desires their salvation. They are not eternally saved here. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. So that we see the Pharisees who kept the law in many places, again, not in all places, but they found loopholes. It was their not their covenant faithfulness that was the problem, but it was their attitude towards God, whether or not they had accepted the content of faith that was required for their salvation. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And this end of the law, by some has been taken to say that this is the conclusion. The law is completely wrapped up. It's completely done. And while that's uh, true by large uh, portion, that's not exactly what's being said here. And I think it's important that we be as exact as we can when dealing with the law, which is so constantly confused. Uh, so what the end here means is it says this is the goal of the law, that the law is pointing towards Christ. Uh, now, when a goal is reached, uh, it's no longer necessary to keep reaching for that goal. So on that basis, yes, law is completed and it is completed in Christ so that we as the church have the law of Christ but not the law of Moses but that does not mean that this law of Moses is completely done away with in fact the, in the millennial kingdom the sacrificial system the law of Moses will be established but it will be established in the perfect uh, manner of the new covenant under Jesus Christ uh, but it is absolutely of no application, uh, direct application to the church. So we can glean from it um, certain aspects of things like God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's perfection, God's unattainability, God's uh, creator-creature distinction between him and man. Uh, there are plenty of amazing and wonderful truths. In fact, it is chock full of amazing and wonderful truths that we can glean. But we destroy and break down those truths when we do not leave them as God intended them to be, and instead try to mix and mangle them with things that they were never intended to be. Uh, so Paul continues because of their covenant disobedience. And the answer to 
presenting absolutely not. So he said, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if the transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of, gen of the Gentiles has come in. Now, we've talked about this term, the fullness of the Gentiles, and that goes back to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, where the time of Gentiles began, and the time of the Gentiles concludes during the tribulation. So we see that until the end of the tribulation, this partial hardening of the Jewish heart has happened. Now, we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that Satan blinds the hearts of unbelievers from recognizing the gospel. But here we see that God is the one who has partially hardened the hearts of Israel. And that does have to do with their covenant disobedience, but it is so that they do not come into a complete disobedience so that God might cast them off completely. But rather, to each subsequent generation, this buffer um, continues throughout the generations to be given to them. That if they are to accept the king of God's choosing as their king, God over them, that Jesus Christ will come again to rule over them as a nation. So we see, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And in Ezekiel 11, we see that this restoration, uh, though we know from, uh, from other parables, like or from other uh, prophecies, like dry bones prophecy, and uh, well, that's in Ezekiel 37 through 39, that section shows us they will be reestablished not in faith but then they will come to faith after their reestablishment so that we can see we are right there in the prophetic timeline where israel has been restored as a nation in part not even fully yet they've been restored as a nation but they are not a nation in faith and that will not happen until the end of the tribulation and that is the purpose of the tribulation to turn their face back towards god to recognize the king whom God sent them to rule over them and to call him back. Uh, it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That will be the call of the Jews at the end of the tribulation, to call Jesus Christ back uh, instead of the Antichrist to rule over them. But in Ezekiel 11, we're told of this end times restoration to faith. It says, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it, and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. This is new covenant language. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. So here's something I made for us about eight months ago, and I finally get to show it to you. 
Um, these are the eight different covenants around the time they were established and at what point they are concluded. Now, the, uh, the, the Edenic covenant, the theocratic administrator concept, though the Edenic covenant was done away with because of sin, it is not complete in the sense that God will still bring about a theocratic administrator, a man through whom he will rule the earth, and that is Jesus Christ, and we see from Revelation 19 to 22, that full completion of the theocratic administrator, where Jesus Christ comes to rule from Jerusalem over the entire earth. The Edemic Covenant, uh, where we see that the serpent will be conquered by the seed of the woman. This happens in part. Remember, it says that it will, uh, the serpent will nip at the heel of the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Well, Jesus Christ's heel was nicked at the cross, um, and so he overcame death. But he will overcome the serpent at his second coming, when Satan will be bound for a thousand years in chains, and then after a thousand years cast into the lake of fire, we see a full completion of that Edemic covenant. The Noahic covenant, is, it is a negative promise that he will not destroy the earth with the flood, we see that he will destroy the earth with fire in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. So that the end of this earth will not come by flood, but also that he will not destroy all man off of this earth. Even into the millennial kingdom, a, a line of man will continue uh, to be in their mortal bodies on this earth. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of land, seed, and blessing is all realized during the uh, millennial kingdom. It's realized in its fullest aspects. Uh, and then the eternal aspects of those uh, are fully seen in Revelation 21 through 22, where we see the conditions of the millennial earth are solidified and made permanent for all of eternity in new heavens and the new earth. Uh, the Mosaic covenant, if you recognize on the right, is the only one which is not completed in the millennial kingdom, but it is complete with Christ. Aspects of it will return during the millennium because Jesus Christ will rule over the millennium and he is the goal of the law, but the law itself will not return as a goal seeking, uh, uh, as something to be sought after as a goal, but rather as Jesus Christ. And that will not continue into the eternal state. The law will be completely done away with its ordinances, its uh, sacrificial system that will be present during the millennium will not be present during the eternal state. Uh, the land covenant, Davidic covenant, and new covenant, which we have left to explore, uh, will be uh, completed also at the end of Revelation. And this, why I made this eight months ago, was really the purpose of the whole foundation series was so that when we get to the climax of Revelation, we understand everything that went into getting Earth to that point. Uh, that it is not something that began in Revelation chapter one, but something that began in Genesis chapter one. Uh, 